Welcome back, Inebriates. It's Andy of the Inebriate Podcast, of course. I mean, you know that. You're you're downloading it. Um, and uh, today we have a, a guest who I think one of the first things I want to ask is, like, what came first? Because you have some producer credits, you have director credits, you have actor credits. Uh, Nick Gregorio, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, man. I'm really excited to be here and here to chop it up. But uh, what came first? um screenwriter actually came okay first. that was the initial kind of bug that got me into the the film industry but i had started out in digital media like fine art meets computers uh, mm-hmm. i was like way before um film had completely converted to the digital space so screenwriting was the first time i was like okay i could do this and i understand this and it like kind of clicks in my brain um and then it was short films and sketches and uh you know, then putting ourselves in our own shorts and sketches because you kind of run out. I was from Philadelphia, so you kind of run out of people that want to act. Yeah. You know, like there's that post-college halo where everyone's like, we can do creative stuff every weekend. Yeah. And then like three weeks go by and everyone's like, I don't ever want to do this again. I want to go <laughs> get drunk and go out to dinner. So yeah. that, so you know, after a while, you just start plugging yourself into it. You know, a few people tell you like, oh, you're not too bad. They're like, all right, well, let's just, let's just do this. Let's try this out. Uh, eventually made a feature film called Happy Birthday, Harris Malden. Uh, back when I was like 23, got released in 08, went to the Cinevegas Film Festival. That was like, pretty awesome but it was also at the beginning of the financial crisis and sort of the death of indie film yep uh went and made another feature super low budget called green um and then uh realized that if i wanted to be in this industry i was going to have to have some marketable talents more so than writing directing acting because everybody wants to do those so i got into cinematography and editing um and then eventually producing so i've done I had a sketch comedy show at Machinima. I had a late night talk show at Machinima. I did um, a show called DC Daily for the DC Universe platform. Oh, uh, nice. I was and a uh, director of that. And we did we did 500 episodes. I'm really proud of that show. Um, uh, and then I, I this past two years, I've been working with Amazon. So doing kind of like junket style talk shows for Amazon during this work from home environment. Um, yeah. Recently, I did the Wheel of Time after show. Official wheel. Oh, time no after. kidding. Yeah. I yeah. produced and directed that for Amazon. Uh, and I've been working on Lord of the Rings a little bit. I kind of just pulled away from that. And and of course, my third feature film, Old Strangers, yeah, uh, which is out now on all VOD platforms. It, it it's so funny to hear you kind of talk about that because we've been podcasting now for about five years. We're, we're getting you know, every day we get more and more serious about the pro, you know, the process and what we're doing. And now we have YouTube content and, you know, I want to do more live streaming and, and I'm the kind of person who's like, Oh, let's, I'm that creative person. who's like, Oh, let's do the creative thing all week. Not just this weekend. Yeah. Let's just do it all the time. And it's, it's like you, I remember when we started this podcast, I went to my now producer editor and was like, Hey, I want to start a podcast. He goes, so I'm going to have to learn how to edit sound. I'm like, yeah, good good thing you picked up on that because that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> and it's just, I, I love this kind of, uh, we've always been this, screw it, we'll learn it on the fly and figure it out as we go. Is, is that that kind of same? Because you were like, oh, you know, I went to this and then I learned this skill and then I learned this skill. Is that kind of how you're just like, I signed up for it and I figured out how to do it and yeah, that, that was it. Uh, you know, I, I can't I can't stress enough that if you want to be successful in these creative fields, you cannot limit yourself unless you're wealthy or know people. Mm-hmm. You cannot limit you cannot limit your skill set. You know what I mean? You can't explore and learn and try new things. And YouTube is a, a an amazing resource. Like, oh, for uh, sure. And there's so many articles being written. I remember uh, DaVinci Resolve is now on version 17 point something. Mm-hmm. I learned it when it was version eight. And I like I was in Philly. I drove to New York to see a seminar. I like tried like modded my computer to run it. And I just watched videos and I went to seminars and I re- like all most of the stuff is free. You know, it's not just now like you have to enroll in a college course. College college courses are so high level, but they're not. A lot of the production world, whether it's music, whether it's podcasting, whether it's video, uh, it's very much like a trade, very hard skills trade where you need to know how to do the thing. Like it's mm-hmm. not theoretical. And when you're when you're enrolled in like a, a a university program, 
there's a lot of theory. There's a lot of uh, academia that's attached to that. There's a lot of there's a lot of reading and understanding things on different levels. But there's not like the brass tacks that you can do on your own, where you're sitting with a project and you're like, oh, how do you edit audio? Let right. me watch 25 tutorials. Let me, you know, trial by error 50 times. And then on the 51st time, you're like, I think I might be getting the hang of it. And then someone listens to it and goes, that's terrible. And you're like, back to the drawing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I I, I can't stress that enough that like, it's a lonely road. It's a rough road. It's sometimes very unforgiving. But to me, there's nothing more satisfying than like going in the lab and jamming away at something and you know, when you're done, you're like, I made this, I did this, I learned this. And and I worked with a great group of people to like execute and bring it to fruition. So, yeah. And it's one of those things that I'm learning. I'm learning a lesson that I've already learned, which sounds stupid, but you know, I'm a visual artist and you know, in art school, you're broke. Yeah. And then, you know, you kind of end up in a career that's not necessarily art based, but you have a little bit more money and you, you go out and you, you buy some nice quality tools and then you're like, wow, this makes the world of difference. And it's the same yeah. thing. Like we started the podcast with a $60 mic. I, I filmed some YouTube content that I'm trying to do green screen with just using my camera on my laptop. And then I used a, a, a Canon and it's like, oh, oh, I see. That makes a huge difference. And it's not yeah. just a program. And you know, it, it's just one of those. If I had ILM money, I could do way more, but you do the best with what you got, you know, you you do the best with what you got. And you, you know, it's like, it's, I I look at it like it's incremental growth. Like it shouldn't be like right out of the gate. And I I think that's, that's difficult for a lot of creatives where where out of the gate, you want it to be perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that will never has never been the case ever. The only way you get perfect out of the gate was a ton of money. Right. Right. I'll, I'll point to the Safdie brothers and I'm a big fan of their work. Yeah. These guys are mega wealthy, huge opportunities. They're part of like the New York elite social circles. Their, their first movies had movie stars in them. That right. will not happen. That will not happen if you are some rando indie filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You're not going to write a script so good that Adam Sandler reads it and is like, I want to be in this. That will not, cannot happen. That is impossible. Like, <laughs> unless you know Adam Sandler, he's not right. going to read your script. And even if you do know him, he probably won't read your script. So that, you know, Robert Pattinson isn't just looking for crazy, weird indie stuff to do, you know, like, and I think when you understand that, when you understand the the broader mechanics of the industries, know that your first thing isn't going to work or your second thing or your third thing. And it's, it's a learning process. And that was, I, you know, I wish someone told me that 15 years ago when I started this journey that like, Hey, this is an industry. This is not, well, one and done. This is not, you make a thing and you're world famous and everyone throws money at you. Like for most people, this is an industry and it's very much a trade industry. And I come from like a construction background, like wallpaper, paint, interiors, remodeling and stuff. Uh, And once I saw the movie industry or the production world for that, I was like, oh, okay. It's, that's all it is. It's another job. It's another thing. And, you know, some of them are really high level creative and some of them are very functional and you kind of have to bring that same work ethic to each project and learn as much as you can and take away from, uh, from it as much as you can. So I was listening to a podcast earlier today and the podcaster was making some really interesting comparisons about how, you know, athletes have, you know, practice and scrimmages and uh, stage actors have rehearsal and kind of all these prep things. Do you feel like, when you're making content like a movie or, or a streaming show, is there that practice or is it just kind of like, Oh, I'm in it and I'm going to do the best that I can. And this will be practice for the next thing that I'm doing. Um, so with old strangers that, you know, I have a lot of experience under my belt. Mm-hmm. So with this project, and it's a story of three friends that break quarantine by going up to big bear, getting a cabin, trying to reconnect, And while reconnecting, they stumble upon something in the woods. Um, It's a very simple story. You know, there is some classic horror and sci-fi tropes, but they are holding a mirror up to our our current times Mm -hmm. and the the pandemic of it all and sort of how we treat each other. And also just the idea of reconnecting with each other and it not always going as planned. Right. So I knew it was a smaller story. Here are the things you can't control on a production. A lot of times 
you're probably going to have a low budget. You're probably going to have to cut corners or find creative solutions. But what you do have is time. And kind of getting to like it rehearsal, everything was storyboarded on this project. My director of photography, Blake Gayton, who's absolutely brilliant, he and I sat down. We had worked together for years. We worked together for five years straight at the studio. I mean, doing like hundreds of pieces of content for Machinima or WB. So we sat down and we went over lighting concepts, camera packages, all my boards, all the, the way I wanted the camera to move, like the way the, the landscape was going to be a character unto itself, that it was going to be ex experiential, naturalistic. And then you do the work. You know, you don't leave any stern on, stone unturned. You're like, you don't show up to set not knowing what you're going to do on a small production. Yeah. You have a really good idea of what you're going to do for every scene. And then my co-executive producer, Drew Marion, who's my lead editor on the project, he and I did all the post-production, including the scoring, sound design, like you name it. Like Drew absolutely murdered the scoring on the picture. Like, it's, I think it's brilliant. Um, but he and I have edited hundreds of pieces of content together. You know, that was the practice. All those jobs, all those like mundane talk shows and things, that was our practice. And knowing going into this project, look, this is going to be the style. It's going to breathe a little bit. We're not going to be cutting things with an inch of its life, but there's going to be some moments that need to be cut tack sharp. Like there's yeah. going to be no room for fat here, no room for experimentation. Um, with my cast, I kind of wrote the roles for two good friends. Ted Evans is a really good friend of mine. And he was in a lot of our shorts and our sketches in the machinima days. Uh, Colton as chief Mastro. He uh, was in a short uh, that my friend Stephen Ford had made. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It's called 2020. It's a parody of 1917, but it's a one -er. These two guys just sort of being bombarded with everything that happened in 2020. Yeah. Uh, I saw him and I was like, excellent performance. And then uh, Madeline Humphreys, who's our female lead, was recommended to me by my makeup and makeup effects artist, Kate Matlock. And Kate did all the glam makeup as well as the effects makeup for the movie. Uh, and Kate was like, I think there's an actress. She's like, she's been running around in the redwoods for like four days, just screaming and crying. And she's like, I think she can handle <laughs> this material. And I was like, yeah. all right. And I, I called up Madeline and Madeline is a Filipina actress who just moved to the States right before lockdown. So she, she was like, yes, she was like, I would love to do something like this. Um, and then we did a table read, you know, we did a zoom table read and I redrafted the script. Then we did another table read and we adjusted and moved things around and switched things up. So do, is it rehearsal while you're in it or is it practice while you're in it? Yes. But there are so many opportunities, especially when you're working with a smaller budget to invest your time to get those reps in. And I think people, I think people either get worried or self-defeatist or think that like, well, I, I want to do it the Hollywood way. Like I should have an AD and he should be the one organizing it, or I should have a a line producer and he should be the one breaking down the budget and I should hire and if I can't hire a storyboard artist then I'll just do a shot sheet or I'll just do it's like no you got to do it all you know you got to do it all you got to and that is I think that is your practice before the big game because when you're on set and, and the way I design scenes and the style of shooting is when you're on set there is room for improvisation mm -hmm. but the plan is is concrete the foundation is there if we want to improv within that foundation absolutely but if we just need to get what we need to get, there is no missing. There are no missing pieces. So I hope a little bit of a. a yeah, no, that's. Hey, man, that's what podcasts are for, right? <laughs> um, so I'm really obviously. This script didn't exist two ish years ago because it's so pandemic. -based. Was it an idea that you kind of had you interpreted into the pandemic or is this from being in lockdown where you had plenty of time and, and just felt that creative urge to kind of do something. So I wrote a script called not like us. Uh, and that was a very carpenter esque the thing. Uh, these people, these three friends from Philadelphia drive up to new to Ithaca, New York and get caught in a blizzard and pull over in Buffalo in a roadside kind of bar yeah. uh, they get snowed in and they find out there's this invasion and so it's all these different people and I, I kind of wanted to hold up a mirror to twitter yeah you know like what happens when all these big personalities are kind of forced to confront like a true foreign invader uh how how do they react with each other uh so 
I had I built that world. I did so many revisions on that script. I actually made a radio play out of that script. You can search on any of the podcast platforms, not like us. And it's a five-part radio play that okay. we did early pandemic. So I, I was kind of steeped in the mythology of that world. I'd done a Kickstarter for a different project called Christmas Eve, about an Italian-American Christmas Eve in South Philadelphia. Ding, the Kickstarter was successful. We didn't get it off the ground, but I knew that I had to make something. So I had been toying with this concept of, Friends meeting up in the woods, a really small picture, an homage to The Shining, uh, Evil Dead, um, some Hitchcock is thrown in there, of course, mm -hmm. Alien, of course, a lot of John Carpenter influence. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I called up Drew and I was like, if you're in, we could do this. I'm in. Called up Blake. I was like, if you're in, we could do this. I'm in. Called up Kate. If you're in, cool. My sound, sound recorder, Zane Gwinden, sound engineer. I was like, you're in we're doing this. So I had the like main components of the team. Everyone was in, I started writing the script and it sort of took off. I was like, I knew what the movie was going to be. I knew what the movie wasn't going to be, but I, I definitely wrote it to make it. Yeah. I didn't write it as like a, a moonshot. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. I figured, I figured by this time we would be like inundated with, you know, rom-coms that happened in the pandemic and yeah. this, and it just doesn't seem like people really are out of it yet to, to that point where they want to look back at it. So I found it interesting that you, you, so we did the first pandemic than, movie that I've heard of. Yeah. Uh, we did this less than a year ago. So wow. we shot for six days Yeah, uh, up in big bear and starting March 1st. So our first, our unofficial first day was the 28th of February, where we shot a lot of uh, scenics and, and B-roll and the car driving up, if you've seen it in the opening, uh, in the trailer. Um, and then we shot throughout that week. And then we wrapped on that Friday and left. So um, when we were shooting it, we thought this would feel more like a time capsule and less um, topical. Uh, but yeah. I, we never mentioned COVID. We never mentioned coronavirus. and Though it's an allegory for it, it is not. It, I, I would I would say it's not a COVID movie. It's not a pandemic movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's about people. Yeah. You know, it's about. It really is about uh, what the title says: old strangers. And I, I think early pandemic, we all realized we had Zoom and we could reconnect with our old friends. And we sat down and we chatted, and then like, well, that's kind of cool. And then we did it again, and we were like, okay, I'm starting to rem remember why we're old friends. And then after a while, it started to break down and it's like, we're all different now. We've kind of grown apart. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I love the concept because I think we've all been there. We've all had like group vacations or group trips where you immediately regret it. Like the first night, like, why did I do this? And now I'm stuck here for like two more days. And like, <laughs> who got, like, who got too drunk? Who's going on a tangent? Who's trying to fist fight? And yeah. like, I just was like, what happens when you have the best intentions and everything that can go wrong sort of goes wrong. And uh, yeah, that, that was, that was sort of the motivation for it. So. Um, yeah. That's funny. Like I had that happen recently and I can't say I regretted it, but I went up to New Hampshire with uh, a bunch of buddies that, I mean, I hadn't seen like 10, 15 years. They, you know, we used to go up to New Hampshire all the time when we were in high school and it was all the, the high school group. And it was, it was really like, that kind of constant being like, this feels so familiar. And at the same time, like, I hardly know you. Kind oh, of yeah. Thing. I don't like it's, it's crazy. Right. It's yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and I, I hope that I was able to cat. I think I, I captured that with the movie. I think there's that sense. Um, and like one of the, the marching orders for the team was we are not in a horror movie, especially with the actors. I'm like, you are not in a horror movie, even though there are some tropey horror things that happen. At no point would you be like, oh, we're in a heart. Like, no, you'd be like, my, like my, the homie's fucking up. Like, you know, like he's just doing stupid shit. He's going to ruin the whole weekend. Yeah. At no point would you be like, obviously aliens and we're all going to die. Like, no, no one would say, I don't like, it would take an alien standing 10 feet from you for you to be like, oh, there's actually aliens here. And that's what we're dealing with. <laughs> yeah. But, and it's weird, but when people watch it, they'll be like, oh, you're in a horror movie. Duh. And I'm like, but they're not, they're not, right. you know, like, the, you know, and we kind of we we play that to the bitter end you're like is it or isn't it like what's happening um and I, and I wanted to play with that too i really wanted to play with the idea of 
so much of genre entertainment now is so on the nose. You know, you you know, within the first four minutes that this is like supernatural, like spooks abound, like frights abound, like you're not going to like there isn't going to be any questioning of the motivation. So I really wanted to do something that was that felt a little bit more ambiguous. I know at times it's probably a little tropey, but I wanted it to kind of feel like, are we in this or aren't we like, am I going to get a curveball? What's going on here? I really felt that way. Um, I don't know if you've seen the new Matrix movie. I did see the new Matrix. Movie. Yeah, in the first like twenty minutes, I'm like, are they just playing off like the whole first trilogy was like a psychotic break? Like, are yeah, are they really gonna do that? They're gonna do that. It, it was really, and I, I kind of wanted them to play it like that, but um, you know, I I really like that kind of, it gets you kind of thinking and being like, wait, so the last thing I want is to be like, here's point A, here's point B, and you know the exact path. So that kind yeah. of you know, like a little bit of uncomfortable, like, oh, oh shit, are they really going to play like he's just crazy and the Matrix doesn't exist? And yeah, it's fantastic. Which which would have been great, honestly. And, and the thing is, like, even I like I got like, I'm not making a Matrix movie, of course, but even I got that cold feet where you're like, I can't do it. Like, it's too hard. It's so hard to do the true like, no, it's not. It's, he just had a psychotic break. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so hard to commit to that. Because if people don't like it, they're going to shit all over that one aspect. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, why would you ever make a Matrix movie without the Matrix? You know what I mean? It was just <laughs> so hard. Uh, and I was like, I was concerned because I was like, I could do that. I could pull the, like, real reverse here. Yeah. But then are people going to just be bummed? Like, well, what the heck? Like, we were waiting for this reveal. And you, yeah. you gave us a no prize. You know, uh, you don't want to you don't want to pull like a last Jedi where everyone's like <laughs> like like crucifying you for like your decision. You're like, oh great. Should have just just gave them what they wanted. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I mentioned we had an explicit label. I think we're gonna have to add a uh we're shitting on Star Wars label because I feel no, like that's not me. It's not me shitting on it. Yeah, that is me uh just pointing out that it got a reaction. Yeah, that is not me shitting on it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. there was a previous episode where someone shit all like it was so interesting to me because it's such a I hated the prequels. Like they're god awful. And there's this weird movement now where the people who were kids when the prequels came out are shitting all over the new ones because they grew up on the prequels. I'm like, no, no, the prequels are stupid. The new ones are okay. You know, it's just really there is, weird. So like, it's weird. I have a love hate relationship with the prequels. I grew up with the original trilogy, but I was like a weirdo yeah. kid that sought them out. Like I right. was not, I was like in seventh grade, I dressed as Luke Skywalker and everyone's like, who are you? What are you? Michael Jackson? <laughs> so it like, uh, I had one of those like rainbow colored lightsabers that you can only get at, like the dollar store. Oh yeah. 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 Been released toy yep. lightsabers yet uh since like the 70s so i was a fan of the originals i went to the re-releases like opening night i was like 13 my yep. mom dropped me off she's like, what are you doing here by yourself i'm like just leave me alone watch star wars uh so the prequels the prequels honestly were like they taught me to never anticipate anything that's that I, that is the lesson i learned from the prequels like do yeah. not ever anticipate anything in life uh i did not heed that warning but as time has gone by, yeah. I can appreciate the prequels for what George Lucas was trying to do. And I, I don't think he gets enough credit in terms of technological advances, as well as just being an indie filmmaker and really putting his money where his mouth is with making the prequels. Like he he paid for those. Right. Um, and I don't think enough people give him credit for that, that like. Yes, I think he got obsessed with the idea of the uh, the politics of the uh, Galactic Empire or the you know the Republic, and I think he almost, almost to like an like when you watch it now as an adult, you're like, wow, you were really obsessed with trying to tell the, the inner workings of the poli the politics of, of the Republic, uh, and you really didn't really you didn't care that much about some of the other aspects or the human aspects of this. Yeah. Uh, Jar Jar Binks is, is still the biggest misstep, but Natalie Portman is pretty terrible in those movies and she doesn't get panned enough. For that. <laughs> okay. Aiden Christensen does, but like, he gets think about it, Anakin is a weirdo. Like he's a weird kid that grew up on a desert planet as a slave. Like he's a weird, he's allowed to be kind of weird. Yeah. 
Princess Amidala should not have been a, that terrible of an act. There's no, there's nothing in her character that said Natalie Portman needed to play her so poorly. And she doesn't get any, she doesn't get any hate at all. Everyone's like, oh, poor Natalie Portman. She had to suffer through that. I was like, yeah, watch it now. Like suffer through her performance. It's God awful. Like, it's <laughs> one of the worst performances in that whole series. Um, the problem with the new movies is they didn't capture any of the magic at all in any way. So much so that people are like, I love the Mandalorian. Oh, and Mandalorian's that, amazing. Mandalorian's amazing. Like season yeah. two of the Mandalorian, I loved it. But there was no moment in the new trilogy that I felt any of that. Yeah. Like you could you could say what you want about the prequels, but you got the Darth Maul fight. That's pretty sick. Like True. you got like Coruscant looks pretty cool in the in in uh, Attack of the Clones. And then you get a, you get a decent. I mean, it's drawn out. It's kind of crazy. It's overly CGI. But you get some decent Darth Vader mach machinations in Revenge of the Sith. In the new trilogy, you get it's it's like what they did with the Matrix movie, where the the cast were fans. Like they sat down and watched the DVD of the original Star Wars, and they're like, "Whoa, Han Solo! Do you have a Millennium Falcon? Can I get a Slurpee?" Like it was so <laughs> weird. It was such a weird. I'm like, you know, like that would be like, I don't know, like a, if if we met like an Iraqi war vet, and we we're like, "Hey, did you guys really like bomb Fallujah and that awesome way?" Like, no, like it was it was so weird to. For people in the world to be a fan of the source material inside the world. I feel like that's very strange. Yeah. But I don't know. That's just my two cents on Star Wars real quick. I don't know how. It <laughs> yeah, no, it's the best, man. Like, uh, <laughs> we're all nerds here. Um, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but yeah, like, even going more into this, the, the thing that I was looking forward to being disappointed by, if that's a thing, <laughs> was uh, the Book of Boba. Yeah, like I saw the trail for that. I'm like, this looks god awful. This looks terrible. I gotta say, it's okay. Not it's okay. No, it's not I, Mandalorian, but I'm, I'm still there. I'm still watching. Um, so I'm I'm sure, like me, you grew up. Boba Fett was my jam. Yeah, you know what I mean. I got I, Boba Fett was my dude. Uh, I read a lot of the comics with Boba Fett, like him after he escaped the Sarlacc pit. Um, I. I miss him just being a cold-blooded bounty hunter. I like he's one of those characters that I and I and I I applaud them for trying to give him more depth to his character. Yeah. But I also in a very western sense love that he was just a motherfucker. Like just didn't care. You know what I mean? Like it is it is weird that he's trying to be this crime boss but nice. Yeah, which I'm like that doesn't. So my biggest thing, and this goes with comic books, it goes with. Oh, we can talk comics. I'm a huge comic fan. Oh, you still in a comic shop? Uh, <laughs> Next topic. <laughs> um, but uh, th this goes back for like comics, movies. You know, the Venom movie. Stop trying to make my favorite villains good guys. After I watched uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I went and read Maximum Carnage and I was like, can, can Hollywood please just stop being embarrassed by the fact that they're making a comic book movie? Even to this day, when they are commonplace, yeah. they put so many justifications as to why they're like in a costume or why they're, I'm like, stop it. Just when you read Maximum Carnage and I had the original collection when I was like, I still have the originals. Uh, I read it after I watched that and I was like, Cassidy's a homicidal killer. That's it. Done. Move on. That's what he is. He's a villain. Right. Venom is still a homicidal maniac that Spider-Man is forced to work with. Like, give us give us that story. I don't need this weird, tragic youth backstory. And now Venom's a good guy. I, I just just give me what it is. Just try it for once. Just try right. to give me the thing that it was. It doesn't need to be anything else. Right. It's like but, Darth Vader was redeemed in his death. He was always death. a bad guy and he redeemed himself as he died. Don't make him a good guy. No. You know? Uh, yeah. And and with Boba Fett, I mean, there, there's like things I just think are silly. Him walking all over most Espas ridiculous. looks so stupid. I was like, could you give him like a speeder or something? Like anything yeah. is better than him walking everywhere because it makes it look super low budget. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Western without horses. 
Yeah. We're like, ah, we couldn't afford horses, so everyone just walks in this western town. <laughs> but then we have these oh. metallic Vespas that everyone. Oh my got. god, that was <laughs> that sequence. I was, was like, it was, the, give us it that was the slowest high speed chase Ooh. I've ever seen in my life. It was slow. Yeah, it was um, very slow. You can't give us the train sequence in the previous episode, then give us the Vespa sequence in the. Ne- I was like, you can't. You just yeah. can't. You, you 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 gave us a high speed train chase on cool speeder bikes. You you can't give us like so just like just get out and run up and catch the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's driving a speeder. It's not, they're not like a high speed vehicle. It's like yeah. literally a Land Cruiser. That's it. You're just like oh, I, I did. I did roll my eyes at that quite a bit. But yeah. um, so what lessons have you learned from being a Star Wars fan that you brought over to old strangers? Um, oh, what did I learn from? Well, Star Wars, the original Star Wars, I think atmosphere was such was so important mm-hmm. to Star Wars, right? The, so you know, like I wanted, I wanted a level of uh, old strangers to have like something experiential, and and nature and the cosmos is a part of that, and and it's definitely worked into it. And some audiences today aren't super jazzed about that, and I knew I was kind of it was going to be risky. I knew it was going to, some people be like, this is boring, but I it's, if you look at the edit pace, it works and it feels good. But that original star Wars, when you have C three PO and R two D two coming across the desert and Tatooine, it's very much atmospheric. And like it paints this world and you just see, you see that uh, sandworm skeleton, sand dragon skeleton, just yep. peeking out at points. And your imagination, you know, like you're the you're invested in the world. You're like, what is this? What's going on? You're asking questions, um, and so much of the the planets and the worlds of Star Wars uh, were characters unto themselves. They had their own pitfalls, and they had their own. And then, I, and I think I took a lot of that away, uh, where it was like, so. So I love that you is- say that because it's like you can use that atmosphere in star wars as a shorthand like you know i'm yeah. living in new england and like you'll walk into somewhere and they'll be like how is it, it was like it's fucking hoth outside okay, and there. people yeah. like you know exactly what you're talking about They're like oh that sucks yeah and, and and there was so much time spent even even the, the opening shot where you're out in the stars and the and the star destroyer comes through it's like these aren't rushed scenes it's giving you we're now in a lot of cinema i think everything is just cut like television, you know, it's cut basically every, like every fifth of a second, you're getting a cut, you're getting a cut, you're moving along, you're getting other coverage. Uh, And it doesn't allow, like one one of the, one of the things we wanted to do was like tuck the audience in. That's what we Mm -hmm. kept saying, like, oh, they're going to be tucked in and really just like slide into this world, tuck yourself in to some of the class. Look at the, the, the drive up in the shining. Like that's a really long opening title sequence, really long. But it's setting the pace and it's taking you on a journey. And I, I, I tried to emulate that, but I don't think there's enough of that in cinema today. And I think when you go back to the original trilogy, you have a lot of that. You have a lot of atmosphere. You have a lot of like taking in the, the environment. And then the environment is a really big part of the storytelling. And I love movies that can kind of give you that experience of that atmosphere i was just thinking you made me think of um oh shit is it dunkirk i think it was dunkirk yeah where there's just a like every second there's like this underlying low metallic machiny background yeah. noise and it made me really freaking uncomfortable to the point yeah. where like afterwards i was like jittery like coming out of the movies and I, I love when you can get that visceral experience from a movie and well i'm glad you bring that up because we did the sound drew and i did the sound design and mix on it and one like another one of those yeah it's low budget but we're going to invest we're going to sound design every effect in this movie and that's like a star wars thing like like star wars was one of those first original sci-fis to have or space operas to have like beeps and bloops and dings and dangs and lasers and like everything gets a sound like the sound design in star wars is amazing and it's also you could learn like very valuable lessons that Things don't need to exactly sound like what they sound like in real life. Star Wars does a great job of that. And that's if in old strangers, you have different. Uh, there's an effect I do when people blink. But it's like a rubber band, like boom. 
but it really enhances like the moment to me it just enhances the moment but star wars kind of taught me that you know you don't there's no sound in space but like fudge that like that's boring right it should sound cool like everything should have its own sound and vibe to it and whether it's realistic or not be damned but as long as you you believe it as an audience member then i think it's successful yeah and it's so funny it's like you said that and it made me think of something else but uh in firefly there's no sound in space so they do no sound in space yeah but they do a great job of making like the camera go like out i mean it's all cgi but the camera goes out of focus and then back into focus yeah it gives you that feeling of being there yeah 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 and and it's like yeah it's like when you find those creative solutions the absence of sound or the like fully sound design all those things matter you know they matter in a movie yeah so coming out of old strangers was there something like what was your big because i feel like you learned something from everything like what did you learn from old strangers that you'll carry forward for the rest of your filmmaking career uh i think with old strangers i was a little there's a few times where i'm like i should have let the camera roll a little bit longer Mm -hmm. i was like i really i was you know it was it was a tough shoot you know it was 15 hour days small crew but I wish I would have just uh, let things play a little bit longer just for my own sake in post. Right. I, I had a few more options here and there, nothing that was like detrimental to the, pro- to the process, but it was like, I was a little bit too like, all right, cop, we got it moving on type of thing where, where it would have been nice to just let, let some of the things breathe a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and um, I think I learned that, as the because it, it was the best set I've ever been on, and I've, I've been on hundreds of sets. Um, the that the crew was completely committed at every position, believed in the project, and believed in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I learned that like you you need that because again, if you don't have money, if you don't have money to pay the best in the world to work, they're cushy. You know, it's why Guillermo del Toro gets booted off of every fucking project he gets hired for. That's especially if it's like genre or if it's a licensed material, because he spends like three years figuring it out. And they're like, dude, we can't pay you your rate for three years. <laughs> <laughs> you can't sit around and just like draw Gollum for three years and be like, I don't yeah. know. I haven't had the story yet. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, dude, we need the shit. <laughs> We're supposed to come out like, uh, you know, that kind of happened with the Lord, the uh, the Hobbit trilogy you just was like hanging with it for a year. And it's like, dude, we can't afford you. We can't right. just hang out. <laughs> So I think like working with a really good team that had my back that, you know, that I trusted and trusted me. And, you know, when I was like, Hey guys, you want to call it a night? And they're like, no, let's keep going. Or like, Hey, we, we, we got to push. Are you guys okay with that? And they're like, of course, man, we need this scene or we need the sequence. Like that was really inspiring. Yeah. I love that kind of collaboration. And we only just started um, doing video content. And we shot one recently and it's to, to pair with one of our other podcasts. And uh, so at the end, everyone's like, Oh, what's, what's the idea for, you know, the next one. I'm like, Oh, well, you know, it's going to come out in January. So this is kind of the idea. And I think we're going to go this way. And they all went no. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, all right. Well, what do you guys want to do? And they like came up with some ideas and I'm like, all right, fuck it. If that's what you guys want to do, let's do it. <laughs> and it's been shot, but we're still editing it. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun when it comes out. And it's just one of those, like, I don't want to be precious of my ideas. Because you can't be, you can't be too precious. And it's like, my my name appears on the movie a lot, but I financed the picture and I I did a lot of things on the project. So I, and, and, but there are, there, there are so many ideas and concepts that are brought in from my team and working so closely with them and knowing each other shorthand. Uh, it's it's when to know, like, I think what would have killed this movie if I was too precious with it, you know, that and, and I think anyone that works and you're kind of, you were alluding to it too. Like if you're too precious about it, who are you serving but yourself? Right. You know, there's certain things you got to dig your heels in and be like, no, this is what we're doing. But for the most part, different ideas and different concepts that's sort of the nature of bigger creative entertainment endeavors that's what makes them great you know one, yeah. one would argue the prequels were too much of george mm-hmm. and not enough 
people kind of challenging him. And the way that I look at it is this is what you guys want to do. I want to keep you guys happy, especially this stage. I'm not paying you. Yeah. Um, I want to keep you guys happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to keep you guys happy. If it doesn't go the way we hope, I can still shoot the thing that I want to shoot. Yeah. Next, you know? And yeah. I'll just put that. Yeah, you got a better, you got better yeah. footing to pitch it. And be like, well, right. we're going to play my thing now. We did yours. But no, right. yeah. um, no. And, and like, the, the the gang I was with, like Blake and I work really great together and his uh, assistant camera, James Grant, was just awesome in terms of like keeping everything cleaned up, button up, pulling focus, nailing focus. It was freezing. It was cold. It was so fucking cold. I'm yeah. sure like you're used to it. You're in New Hampshire. You don't, you don't care. You're like, yeah, all right, Nick, cool. But for us Californians. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm Massachusetts. Oh, I'm Massachusetts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Massachusetts. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But for us Californians going to, you know, Big Bear, which is like 3,500 feet above sea level on a mountain. It's pretty crisp. It's crisp. And, yeah. you know, it's pitch black and it's cold. Uh, and, you know, Blake and James coming up with these really cool wireless light bulb rigs that we had everywhere. And, um, it, it was, it was, it was dope. It was stuff that like people like roll their eyes and be like, yo, oh, you shot in the woods. I'm like, yeah, we shot in the woods at night and there's light. Like yeah. that is something that <laughs> normally you need a generator truck to do, but we used ingenuity to pull that off. Like we didn't just throw money at the problem. We cr- found a creative solution to do it. Um, and then I, I got to shout out my best boy, Jason Solomon and my key grip Jacoba Harrell. Cause I worked with those guys for a long time. And like they were just out there, and no one was complaining. People were like holding stands because you're in the forest. You can't just like leave a stand; it'll blow over or whatever. Right? So like yeah, we're learning that. We're stands. learning that. <laughs> yeah. So it's it was it was like, you know, everyone was just like invested and ready to go, and and we were using new technology and using Steadicam rigs and using an old school Ari Alexa and, and shooting raw and doing all the things that like big budget productions do. But we were we used ingenuity. And we kind of use elbow grease to make it work for our project. Yeah. I, I, mean, I find it just to be such an exciting time to be a creative person Yeah, because you can do everything pretty low budget now. I mean, you can yeah. get editing software for free. Uh, our lighting rig that we first purchased was like a hundred dollars for like four lights and a backdrop. And, you know, then you just kind of add on to it as you go and be like, yeah. Oh, you know what? I don't really like that light or I don't like this look or let's, I saw this YouTube video and so then you just kind of keep adding to your kit and it becomes like this weird obsessive hobby. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I've been on really big sets sort of spare no expense, but catered lunches and stuff. And it's like, there's no, there's no, you still got to set up a camera and shoot something compelling. Like even with all the lighting, even with the camera moves, even with like, you, at the end of the day, you still have to do it. It's you're almost having the same final product yeah. and you're competing with that. Like a movie now is competing with a TV show is competing with a series of TikToks, is competing with an IG account is competing with a YouTube video. And they're all made for varying budget degrees, but you're asking for an audience member's time and they're going to watch what they find compelling. It might not be your movie or it might not be your TikTok or it might not be your show, but like, this is the first time that all ma- media is basically created equal because yeah. of the digital distribution of it. Have you seen, I saw it recently, this show that I watch online where they've really become successful and they've done a great job and they've kind of become like a real company now. And they're, they, they just redid their set. Their set's gorgeous and high tech and there's a pushback. Of like, oh, you're not, you're not yeah. the this this the homegrown thing anymore. Do you, do you think like do you ever consider that? Is that something that you see a lot of? Or so that was um, when I came to Machinima, I I came in because of my production experience, mm-hmm. and Machinima was mostly doing Talking Heads, like Canon 5D Talking Heads, and that's how their audience liked it. And I came in and I was like jibs and lights and cameras and dolly moves and our sketches are high production value and people are like fuck this like it, it just doesn't doesn't fit because that's not what they're there for and it took me a long time to realize that like you got to know your audience and that increase in production value for the creator is like wow i've achieved 
another level but for right. their audience they're like oh i'm sorry like what like everything that i love like what it's not good enough anymore like you had to change it you had to upgrade it like so i i i it's tough it's especially if you come from i think you you have a better chance of coming from like youtube or content creation as a hobbyist than you do from like a film background and and trying to match that style because i think the beauty of like a youtube the beauty of a tiktok is homespun yeah regular people and it's also the sharing of either a fandom or, or sharing of uh, there's there, there's a commonality about it it isn't like watch my thing because it's a narrative piece it's a lot right. more like we all enjoy this narrative piece let's have a discussion so i, I think yeah, like i had a comic book channel um that that was like an in-between before we launched dc daily but it was called action figure comics mm-hmm. and we we did a ton of stuff i did like a weekly roundup you know did like a stack attack which was like weekly pull list then we would do this thing called nitpicker which is basically like shitting on all bad 90s comics um, <laughs> and then there would just be you know kind of breakdowns of like tom king's batman run or uh just going to like toy unboxings things like that and it was really hard to get the audience to look past the production value. Yeah. It's just so funny because uh, you want to put out like the absolute best thing you can. Yeah. But there's almost like this line where you're like, don't, don't cross it. Don't be too good. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I wasn't the right look for a lot of the YouTube stuff. I think a lot yeah. of people are like, who's a smug asshole. And I'm like, Oh, come on, man. I was like, <laughs> it's like, I was a nerd my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> kicking into high gear in adulthood and everyone's like fuck the smug asshole i'm like come on <laughs> look at this look at this you know what i'm saying like look, oh, yeah. look at, goes in the shell shirt here. i noticed that as soon as you got on yeah <laughs> between this my kira shirt and then i have a starcourt mall shirt that i was going to rock from uh, stranger things season three nice uh i want to talk about comics though because comics is my first love okay what do you want to talk about i am so i grew up two blocks from a comic book shop i became obsessed uh even through so like knowing the comic industry they're like oh everyone drops off around 12 when they find girls and then they come back about like 18 not me i was there the whole time i'm with you player but uh so i opened the comic book shop and then i ended up getting divorced and that kind of spelled the end of the comic book shop Uh, yeah it is what it is but like my best friend my producer my editor i met because he was one of my customers like it's still uh and i love the movies i just don't I can't seem to find the time to read anymore. Um, so it, it becomes a, why am I buying these? If I never, you know, the, the pile, my, my read pile just keeps growing. Yeah. Um, I, um, so I converted to digital probably over 10 years ago, all yeah. digital because, for that reason. Like I was, I would move around and long boxes or just stack, like stacks would just be everywhere and bagged and boarded up to slide in all over the place. Trades strewn about. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. I was like, I love the stories. I love, you know, as much as I yeah. love the collecting, I like, I do love the art and, and words. Like I, reading was tough for me when I was younger. So comics were the yeah. kind of like, what I, I need to get into reading. I agree. That's exactly what happened to me. Um, it has. I'm a visual learner. I'm, a, I, and, I'm, yeah. I'm very visual and audio, but it also, so for a long time, my friends make fun of my spelling all the time. And I'm like, oh, I think I might be dyslexic. And that was kind of my like passing off. And then I dated this girl who's a teacher and she spoke to one of her friends and was like, oh, what do they do for like dyslexic people to help them? And she's like, oh, they give them word searches. The word searches really help. And she tells me this and I'm like, they used to take me out of class to do word searches word with searches. my spelling words. And I'm oh. like, holy shit, I am dyslexic. No one ever told me. <laughs> so you know the comic books have kind of that right amount of reading where where yeah. i can read through it at a reasonable amount of time i don't feel like i'm you know the my nightmare in school was when they're like oh you know there's one page that the two of you have to read and you know when you're done flip the page and you know because i would take way too long to read yeah uh yeah i i mean i eventually became a a, a good reader but initially i was like i loved comics i was a visual learner like i was yep. i i loved i love the art i love the framing i loved everything about comic books uh working for dc was kind of a dream come true like i used to go to the dc offices once a week and and have meetings and that's awesome you know like uh my friends at work there they would hook me up i get to go into like the the vault and there's just all the trades that they've ever made 
And I just oh, wow. hit some trades <laughs> up and stuff. Uh, you know, all prestige format books, and it, it was it was it was great. You know, it was really awesome. Um, and but what starts to happen is when comics become your job, it sucks. When you have to read a comic, it gets yep. really tough. Yeah, it's really tough. Uh, but I did. You know, now that like I have some space from it, I've gotten back into it. I'm reading a lot of manga. I do like yep. Dragon Ball. I like Berserk. So the I, last I, thing I, I was that. reading was uh, Go 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 Hedora, I think that's what it was called. Uh, was that worth checking out? Uh, I learned that I have a cultural detachment from manga, where uh-huh. I'm like, there's parts of it that I really like, but I feel like every eight pages they stop to eat. Certain manga does that, you know, I, and Berserk, I'm like, Berserk does it. I don't know if yeah. you read Berserk, but Berserk is like nah. fucking bonkers. That's like really violent, gory, dope. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, no, but there a lot of the modern mangas. There's a lot of eat. I mean, Goku always yeah. be slamming food. Yeah, yeah. and then there's like there, it's all about like wizards and zombies and oh, and we're gonna have a baseball game. And you're like, yeah, what I don't. What is really going on? Yeah. I don't mess with that yeah. too much. I'm, I'm more like, I love like the Giver. You got to know the Giver. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, you know, I went to Blockbuster Video as a kid, and I would just watched. I would just rent those. My cousins were like, dude, what are you watching? I'm like, I don't know. This is amazing. Uh, I always liked watching uh, Vampire Hunter D. Vampire Hunter D. Yeah. Ninja Scroll, Ghost in the Shell, Akira. Of course, I, I saw Akira probably ten times before I understood it. And I was like, I know this is cool. It looks really cool. I have no clue, yeah. clue what's it, going on. Though. It's I'm, bizarre. Yeah. yeah. I'm like seven years old. Like what? I don't know what this is. Eight years old, Saturday anime, trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Um, but I, I was, I wanted to ask you like, what do you think of the current state of comics? But you're not really that. No, no. And it's, it's interesting. Cause uh, I still have friends in the industry and like, it, it's, every industry has like that old school versus new school and the old yeah. school's like, no, nah, they don't know what they're missing. It's, you know, there's a tangible collectability and like, but they just want the story. Let them just have the story. They don't want to get something graded and, 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 you know, put well, it away and never touch it. it it's, you know, I, I, being as old as I am now and getting older and talking to people in comics and music. And the one thing, that I think makes the most sense that I've heard from a few people is do what you like. Yeah. Like if you like that, hunt it down and get a great cool, man, (laughs) (laughs) but don't enforce that on someone else. You know, I, I, I agree. I think also gatekeeping was such a big part of fandom. This, this gets controversial now, which I don't understand why, but people that read comics or like star Wars are all, they were, nerds and like not nerds in like the hung with girls sense or like also i used to do comic book shows when you if you saw a girl girl. like girl yeah it was usually a vendor's wife who was helping him unload the car right right, yeah she was like 49 years old like you know what i mean but like it was not it was not a space it was very much a nerdy guy space and all the trappings of nerdy guys being like, well, actually, you don't know. Uh, well, in this issue, it was all, it was that. It was all yeah, that yeah. all day long. Like you go in a comic shop basically to feel bad about yourself, but then to come back and like the like, oh, I read this, I bet you didn't type of shit. Right, so right, right. um I find it interesting when people are like, oh my god, actually, so much Wolverine's first appearance was in Hulk 180, not 181. Yeah. <laughs> yes, just like that. Yeah. Uh, but the uh I remember I stumped, I went to like one of the Marvel. It was back when Marvel used to was cool and they would do stuff like Joe Casada was actually a cool dude and yeah. <laughs> was a comic book guy. And you're like, whoa, Joe Casada's cool. Uh, his art was awesome. Uh, they would do like stump the Marv or whatever, stuff like this dude. I can't remember. I remember Maybe that. that wasn't it, but I stumped him with in uh Marvel What If uh Daredevil was an agent of Shield who who brought Marvel into into Shield. Or who brought Daredevil into Shield? And I stumped them with that, and I got like an, a, an issue of a comic. And the answer is like Tony Stark because yeah. it's a, you know it's a what if. Um, and he was like, all right, no more what ifs. And he got all, but like that was the stock and trade of the comic book world, nerd fandom, all that. Like the guys who knew the the most names of the characters in the cantina scene. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that yeah, was yeah. some serious escrow. So when like people are like, oh man, it's so 
so gatekeeping. I'm like, yeah, that's because that's what it was. That's what it yeah. is. It wasn't a, it wasn't pop culture. It wasn't like, hey, walk up and, you know, put a coin in the jukebox and like buy a comic or like <laughs> it, it's kind Star of, you know, even, you know, typically nerds weren't athletic and mm-hmm. athletes were all about who could be the most athletic and nerds were yeah. like, well, I can't be athletic, but I can know more than you. I can know more than you. So it I is can. kind of that same alpha male, but just in a different Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's the same deal. Yeah. yeah. Like dudes are gonna dude. They're gonna do that. They're gonna exactly. find a way. Yeah. They're gonna find a way to like have a pecking order. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's gonna be the dark horse, there's gonna be the like lemmings, there's gonna be the 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 best friend, like the right hand man. Like that's what it is. They're just that was that with fandom for yeah. a long time. And uh I, I think it just comes with age because you know, like I'm you know, I just had another birthday and I'm getting up there in years and now I'm just like, I don't I don't care, man. Like Leave that poor girl. Leave that poor girl alone. Stop asking her to name wasp band uh, songs because she's wearing a wasp shirt. Just (laughs) let her wear the shirt she likes. You know, like I I think the only you're only allowed to do that if someone's wearing a Led Zeppelin shirt because I'm like, there's no way you listen to Led Zeppelin, (laughs) and that is the easiest. That's the lowest. Really, you don't think people listen to Led Zeppelin? No, like young young kids. When I see like young, Uh, I would disagree, man. Like I, my kids are are uh, uh turning 18 and 20 this year the rock and led zeppelin and, and uh i'm pretty sure they've rocked led zeppelin shirts like my son liam's like oh i'm really getting into the beatles and my daughter's like i love nirvana and i'm like so weird it, it's just hey, all right all right yeah. Maybe, yeah maybe i see i'm old i'm getting old i just feel like anytime i'm in california and i see someone at like the americana and they have a led zeppelin shirt on i'm like Led Zeppelin is the lowest hanging fruit to listen to. And I don't even think you've done that. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's also like, I'm terrible at song names. Like you could ask me my favorite band and be like, name a song. And I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. I know (laughs) ones I like, and I might be able to pull one or two, but even like, it's also one of those, it becomes that, that moving the, the goalpost that'd be like, well, name a song, you name a song. Like, well, I'll, everyone knows that song. Everyone knows that song. Like you just ask them to name a song, you know, there, there was a time where I really, before they asked me as my job to talk about comics, there was a time where I was like, I can't do this anymore because comicdom is too, too toxic. And it's just sure. too, yeah. like, you know, and, and I, I don't think people realize how bad it was. Like, they, you know, they, they think it's bad now with like message boards, but I was like, you basically gave everyone a bullhorn. People are going to talk shit, but it was like, it just was, I remember I would walk in a comic shop and it, you know, it's, it's customer service, retail service. And yeah. you, would, you would be like, Hey, you got anything to recommend? And it was like, roll their eyes. You'd be like, no, nah, man, like just look around. And you'd be like, okay. Like, like I remember <laughs> it was such a general, like, and that part that was part of the like je ne sais quoi of a comic shop, but then it also was like, no, nah, man, I come here every week. I would like you to at least be polite to me when I yeah. come in your store, dropping like fifty dollars in floppies, and you're over there like eating your lunch, not even acknowledging me, and I'm just wandering around for an hour and a half, and I'm like, man, this it, is what this is my. And it's it's a little bit in how you do it because a comic yeah. shop is one of those places where you can bust balls and get away with yeah. it, and. uh you know, it's from having the shop, people come in and be like, oh, what should I be reading? And it's Wednesday. And you're like, oh, you should like at the time Walking Dead was hot. I'm like, you should be reading Walking Dead. I got so far behind Walking Dead because that was my go to recommendation and everyone bought it. Oh, and then I'm like constantly trying to adjust my orders. And I'm like, I can never get <laughs> to read the stupid thing. But in shitting on someone's uh, options. So this this guy comes in one day. I can't remember what he was buying. I want to say maybe it was uh, All Star Superman. So this goes way back. And I hate Superman. Oh, you're a Superman hater. Just, I just, I don't ever feel like he's in peril, so I don't care. And um, so this guy comes up and he's buying All Star Superman, and I shit all over Superman, and he's now my best friend, editor, producer of the show. Like, so it's even you don't even like All Star Superman. That's like the best Superman story. I I honestly never read about it. I just shit on it because of Superman. But it's like it's there's a way you can kind of do it and not be if, I, if, I if like you're gonna Baldwin. shit on if you're gonna shit on someone you have to be you have to allow them to shit on you i i you enjoy know? ball breaking i'm from yeah. south philadelphia that's all we do is break balls right um no i just mean like the general like doesn't have the time and don't even care doesn't even care that you're in the shot like there's i get more oh, no, no, no. i'm just like what yeah. the f- this is awful yeah. like this is 
I'm like, you're, I'm like, this is the, the dream, man. You work in the comic shop. Like, this is what it is. Everyone here is part of the club. Anyone that walks yeah. in the store isn't like, oh, comic shop. Let me try that out. Like, I've done it's, everything else. I'm going to yes. read comics now. Like, no, like, this is the initiated, died in the wool fan of comics or, yeah. or in the shop. It, it was it was an amazing experience. Obviously, you know, my best friend I, I uh, met there. You know, I was invited to weddings for customers. Like, oh, I'm awesome. getting married. And, um, you know, when I ended up closing up shop, like one of my customers like broke down in tears. It was, no. dude, we're la- and it was just like, it becomes such like a clubhouse where like everyone is friends and everyone's kind of that, you know, everyone is kind of vying to be biggest nerd, but everyone's still friends. And yeah. Uh, so I, those were great times. They were really great times. What was the name of your shop? Uh, Baron's Collectibles. Oh, hey, dope. I like and that. it was from like a weird uh, mistaken. Like, this was how freaking long ago it was. It came from like a chat room where, you know, I was just like Andy D. <laughs> and then someone came in and started yelling at me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, aren't you Andy from Ohio? Whatever. I'm like, no, man. So then I'm like, okay, so screen name. I learned what a screen name was and. I was huge into uh, uh, Baron Munchausen. Oh, okay. Uh, so it was Baron M. And then that just kind of like <laughs> became my eBay name, which then just, you know, kind of strung into everything else. Oh, yeah. I'm big. I collectibles, comics, all that. I, I would be, if I was uh, in the mass area, I would be in Baron's collectibles back nice. in the day. Well, um, yeah. It, it, so super, and we're totally off track now, but that's yeah. fine. Um, I got to know a local band, uh, the Quins, great band, and the lead singer Quincy, uh, came in to do a podcast interview. And uh, my producer, like, hey, he's from uh, East Bridgewater too. And I'm like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's from East Bridgewater. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm like, oh, do you know this person? We started talking. I'm like, oh, yeah, he used to work for me. And he's like, oh, where? I'm like, oh, my comic book shop. He goes, I used to shop in your store. Oh, dude. <laughs> so it's That's just dope. such a cool, you know. It's just a great community. Even even now, like he had fond memories of it. So that that's you know it's awesome. awesome. So, but well, uh, too much of the the strat- <laughs> <laughs> dash, dash. Let's uh, get get back on the rails a little bit. Uh, where can people see Old Strangers? So Old Strangers is available right now to purchase or rent on all video on demand platforms: iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Vudu. Uh, it's coming to uh, Vimeo as well and international. There's an international Vimeo link because it's only being distributed currently uh, in North America. You could also rent it on Comcast on demand or Verizon Fios on demand. I I will say I, my other movies came out on like Netflix and Hulu years ago. uh, But the iTunes layout is really nice. If you are, if you are integrated into the Apple iTunes ecosystem, um, I think now is a great time if you're an indie filmmaker because your movie is presented like it's Infinity War. Like in my movie collection, I have it right next to Infinity War and all the branding's there. Like when it goes full screen, there's like still photography, the trailer starts playing. So um, it really it really gives you an elevated experience uh, more so than it was a few years ago. And hopefully we end up on some streamers, but I would greatly uh, appreciate any support for the picture. Rent it's like three ninety nine. Give, no, it, give it a fair yeah. star rating. <laughs> so to, like, you know, it's like perfect score, but like, just give it something that's not a two or a one, please. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and where can people go to find you on social? So, uh, I myself, I'm not on social media. That's that was the decision I made. But uh, you can check out uh, Old Strangers at at Old Strangers Movie on Facebook and Instagram, uh, and at Old Strangers Movie on YouTube. Nice. I'm actually going to cut, I think I'm going to cut a little grindhouse trailer. Oh, cool. Cinema. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I just, just for fun, just to see maybe get some extra eyeballs and we have a cabin giveaway coming out. So we're giving away, if you, if you buy the movie or rent the movie and leave a review, we're giving away a two night stay at the cabin we shot at. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Nice. Scare the shit out of people. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I've always said that my favorite, episodes of the podcast or where a stranger comes in and a friend leaves and i feel like today is one of those episodes oh, that's cool. uh thank you so much for being on the show uh anytime you're in the boston area you let me know we'll go uh comic book shopping you got it man thank you thank you so much for having me this is great this is a great conversation this was yeah. a pleasant surprise i was having 
not a great day and being able to chop it up with you and talk. No, good, man. I'm, I'm glad. Movies, comics, uh, nerd culture, Star Wars, RIP. No, it's yeah. back. It's <laughs> <laughs> still good stuff. There's still good stuff out there. So uh, thanks again for uh, sp- spending the time with us. And uh, thanks to our listeners. We'll see you guys again next week. And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns, or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.